Hello, I'm Pastor Keith Babb III, and I want to thank you so much for tuning into the podcast of the Way Church of Tampa Bay. Our desire is that as a result of the word, that you no longer settle with simply coming to church, but you become the church. I pray that you enjoy this broadcast and that it challenges you, that it convicts you, and that it changes you. Thank you again, and let's enter into today's message. Serene said that worship is a lifestyle and it's not an emotional moment but when I do worship through song there's always something that makes me want to just sit in his presence the Bible says that in his presence there is fullness of joy and I experience so much much wholeness when I rest and I worship him in song and so I thank God for that We're going to go quickly into the word of God because I know those of us who did attend church today, we, many of us are going to go visit our mothers and have things planned for them. So I'm not going to keep you long on today. I do want to say happy Mother's Day to all of the women. Um, And I say women because even if you didn't birth children, you are still a mother. Amen. It's not always an easy task, but mothering is worth it. I was telling a friend of mine, uh, actually, I think I was telling Sora Jackie, I get in an argument with a three-year-old every day. That's how my day starts off, is arguing with a three-year-old. I told Caden, 6.30 in the morning, he woke me up on Saturday. He said, Mommy, can I sleep in your bed? I said, sure. He said, because there's water in my bed. I said, no, it's not water. <laughs> you peed in the bed. And he said, he said, no, I, I told you it was water in the bed. And so I said, ooh, thank God for your blessings. <laughs> even at 6.30 in the morning. And I want to say I thank God for our pastor, my pastor, who um, entrusts me to stand behind the sacred desk. Um, I believe he said he was going to work in children's church today, but my belief is that it's hard for him to maintain those kids in the sanctuary, and so that's a cop-out. But nonetheless, I thank, I thank God for Pastor Keith. He'll watch this on the replay and say, Serena, with this high-pitched voice. But I thank God for him. Um, And I just want to say this, um, I don't feel like I need to, but it's important that I say this and you hear it with my mouth, that whether it's up here, whether it's through song, whether it's serving in the youth, I consider it all a privilege. Because just as Serene said in her exhortation, nobody knows your testimony better than you. And I know that I shouldn't be touching nothing of God. But yet he's so gracious that he allows me to touch pieces of his work. And so I take none of it lightly. Um, And I want to tell you that so you can hear it with my mouth that I am indeed grateful. So let's get into the word of God. Turn with me to Exodus chapter one. And it is our custom to stand for the reading of God's word. And so if you are able, no pressure, but if you are able to stand and I'm going to ask that you stand in reverence of the reading of God's word. And I'll have to tell you all. Pastor Keith made me take out about 20 verses I was going to read this morning, and I'm going to be obedient to my pastor. 
and only read a few, and I'll give you backdrop. But if you know me, I love the Word of God, and I also especially love the Old Testament. And so that's what we'll be today. We're going to read Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version, and I believe it's up on your screen. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up at verse 15. We're going to read through, what did I have up there, 16. And then we're going to skip over to chapter 2. So if you have a printed Bible, then you want to put your hand there as well. So here begins the reading of God's holy word. When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. Let's skip over to chapter 2. This is just given us to shell. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of water. You may take your seats. Let me give you a bit of background since Pastor Keith took my verses out. Here's what's going on in this chapter. We're picking up at a point where things are getting worse for the Israelites living in Egypt. An entire generation has died. An entire generation has died to include Joseph, who was sold into slavery. And so this new king arises and this king doesn't know who Joseph is. He doesn't know that it was the gift that God gave Joseph that saved the entire nation from famine. He knows nothing about that. All he knows is that the Israelites are mighty and that they're growing exceedingly. And so he tells his people, listen, in order to ensure that the Egyptians or excuse me, the Israelites never rise up and try to fight against us. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to oppress them. And so that's what initially happened because this generation died off and this new king came and didn't know anything. And so he decided to oppress the people because of um, how they had multiplied in the land. And so he oppresses them. And then what happens is when he oppresses them, they grow even the more. Right. God continues to bless them. They continue to be fruitful. And so he takes it up a notch. And that's where we pick up in verse 15. If we can go back there, that's where we pick up. We pick up where he has now summoned the two midwives for the Hebrew women. And he says, listen, when they're on the birth stool in our day and time, when they're on the birthing bed, I want you to take them out and basically kill them. If it's a male and if it's a woman, they shall live. Um, but because they feared God, they didn't do that. So then the, then Pharaoh decided, okay, that's not enough. Well, here's what, what I want you to do. Forget the midwives. I'm going to give the command to the entire people. When you have a son, you just throw him in the river. That's how we're going to solve this. And so during this time, it's a very crucial time for the Israelites. However, we're going to talk about this in a minute. We see Moses' mother who has him and hides him for three months. So she's living during this time. At this point, it's the second command where she's supposed to throw him in the river, but she keeps him for three months, makes the basket, puts him on the river, and his sister watches from afar. Now, it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter goes to bathe to the river around the time that Moses is laid on the river. When that happens, uh, Miriam, which is Moses' sister, steps in and says, hey, I'll grab a Hebrew woman for you to nurse this child. And in her wisdom, she grabs her mother, obviously, and so he's rescued, okay? And so that's where we're going to pick up. Now, here's the thing. Most of us, whether avid Bible readers or not, know about Moses. You can ask someone who's not even a Christian, have you heard of Moses? And they'll tell you, yes, I know about Moses. Yes, I know he was the one who told Pharaoh to let my people go. Then several of us know about his unusual childhood that I just explained, how he was placed on a river and how he was rescued and raised by Pharaoh's own daughter. Several of us know that. 
But very few can tell you the names of the women who played such a critical role in him becoming who he became. If you ask them, well, who were the women that God used to navigate and, um, and, and set up this great exodus led by Moses? Not many people can tell you. Are y'all already relating women? Sometimes we kind of live in a shadow. I'm not going to talk about that today, but that's what happens. And well before Moses can even speak a word, God is already at work with his plan to rescue the children of Israel. Before Moses is even old enough to witness and understand what's going on with his people, God uses four women, really five if we count Pharaoh's daughter, but he uses four women to set the stage for probably one of the most well-known mass exoduses that has ever been recorded. And of course, the Bible is full of God rescuing his people. But you all know the story, right? How it continues on that there was um, a situation where this thing was on another level. I mean, we had plagues, we had deaths, we had the parting of the sea. All of this was something grand and nothing like it had ever happened. And to kick all of that off, God uses women, but not just any women. He uses women who demonstrate through their actions that they fear him, that they have faith in him, and that they possess a level of fortitude. They are women whose actions reveal that they truly know who God is. Many of us can say it, but behavior is one indicator of what you truly believe. It will always expose you. You can say you're courageous all day long, but your actions will reveal if you truly are courageous or if you're timid. Amen? So this month we've set aside as Women's Month and in that we are highlighting God's heart towards women. And I love that we have this backdrop to Moses' life. I love this. I love that this wasn't left out of the Bible because it demonstrates something great about God's heart towards women and more specifically that he, what he values in a woman. And so I want to explore these four, four women further to demonstrate God's response to what he values. But I also want us to explore for the purpose of examination. In other words, I want us to find ourselves in the text. So yes, we're going to read for content and see how, what God values and how he rewards them. But as we're going through this, I want you to examine yourself because God, I know I have been all week long working on this. So let's pick up at verse 17. Now, again, these weren't the pre-scriptures. We're just hopping around through Exodus. Verse 17a says, but the midwives feared God. And did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children. Verse 21 says, and so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. The way these women disobeyed Pharaoh and somewhat swindled him when he demanded a response was for no other reason than that they feared God. And I think I left that out in my introduction. Well, I told you all that the women, the midwives didn't do it. But when he asked them, why didn't they do it? They say, oh, well, you know, the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. They're much stronger. So by the time we get there, they've already given birth. And I love them because they throw a little shade in there. Like, what do you mean the Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women? And so that's what they said. But I want you to know that them doing that was not, um, it had nothing to do with deception, but it had everything to do with their reverential fear of who God was. So let's not misinterpret that they were not rewarded for falsehood. God doesn't value anything that has to do with darkness. We know that, right? He is light and in him there is no darkness. So he is not going to validate anything that relates to darkness. They were rewarded for their fear of God, which brings me to our first point. God values a woman who fears him. 
In other words, he values a woman who reverences him so much so that if it meant risking her life, she would still obey. She would still obey. These women walked back into the presence of a heartless king who had just given a commandment to kill children. But they walked back in there and they chose to obey God rather than this king. It makes me wonder, women, could an area, and I'm not sure if I put this up here, of disobedience in our life be because we do not truly, truly fear God? Just something to think about because I just said it a few minutes ago. Behavior is an indicator of what we really believe. So if I really fear him, that's going to be manifested in my behavior. It makes me wonder. Sometimes we think the enemy is just after us or the devil is busy. And I don't want to downplay that because that is truly the case. But I'm just suggesting that it could also be due to our lack of fear in God. Like it could be that we do not realize that he is absolutely who he says he is. It could be that we don't understand that he is light in him. In him, there is no darkness. It could be that we don't understand that he never sleeps and he never slumbers and that nothing is laid bare before him, but his eyes are always on the earth. Could be that we know he is loving, but we miss that his wrath, as the Bible says, with his wrath, the earth quakes could be that we're missing the fact that the same God who saved us through his son is the same God that wiped out the entire earth at one point. I think we forget that. And it just makes me wonder if our disobedience stems from the mere fact that we do not fear God. Listen to what Matthew 10 and 28 says on the screen. It warns us and says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear the one who can destroy both body and soul. That's the one we should be afraid of. Too often we're afraid of men and situations and people. But the Bible is telling us the only person you really need to fear is the one who can destroy both your body and your soul. And that's God. And we need to think about that because, listen, God values a woman who fears him. And just like we see with these midwives, the Lord expresses that value, listen to this, through protection and provision. Through protection and provision. He spared their lives and provided for them. Listen to what verse 21 says. He provided households for them. And that phrase is a similar phrase that's used in 2 Samuel, which basically means he established their households. He gave them families. So it could be that maybe they were married and didn't have children, or maybe they didn't have husbands at all. And of course, no children. So he rewards them. Because the midwives fear God, he blessed them with marriage and many descendants. And listen, God values when we fear him. And when we fear God and operate as such, we too are guaranteed protection and provision. Did you know that? Listen to what Proverbs 19 and 23 has to say. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil protection because you fear him. Proverbs 14 and 27 says, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Perfection, protection. He protects us when we fear him. I am protected. I have a place of refuge. I can abide in satisfaction. I am kept from the snares of death, not because I am a perfect, not because I know a hundred Bible verses, not because I have a little gift to use, but because I fear God. And I live as such. God values a woman who fears him, a woman who reverences him, not just with speech, but in deeds. And a woman whose life reflects that fear through her obedience to him. 
Now, I want to say this real quick. It doesn't say it specifically, but it's safe to say after studying that there is a good chance that at the time the midwives are addressing Pharaoh, that Moses isn't actually born. Because remember, the first command was given only to the midwives. Then after that, the Bible says that they continued to grow exceedingly, which means that there had to be some time that elapsed, right? And then the second command was given. And so Moses probably, there's a good chance that he's probably not born. And why is this significant? Why am I bringing this up? Because the protection and provision that we experience because of our fear of God is not limited solely to us. I don't fear God just for my protection and my provision, but I fear him for those coming behind me. Look at Proverbs 14 and 6. It says, he who fears the Lord is secure in confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. Because I fear God that he'll not only protect me and provide for me, but he's going to make sure my children have a place of refuge. All those baby boys, to include Moses, had an opportunity for survival, all because two women who didn't even have children at the time feared God. Isn't that amazing? God values a woman who fears him. Let's continue on. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 3. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an art of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in a reeds by the river's bank. This is referring to Moses' mother um, and what her actions were. As a mother, I don't even want to imagine what it felt like to live during those circumstances. To have a command in the land that says, if you give birth to a boy, you need to kill him. I couldn't imagine as a mother. There were no sonograms at that time. So imagine the gut feeling when that baby pops out and everybody in the room realizes it's a boy. My guess is that the tears are probably more of sorrow than joy because now you panic. What do we do? But here she is, Moses' mother, pregnant with no other options. There were no contraceptives, no plan Bs, no abortion clinics. There were no options but to have the child. And she does. Then she decides to hide him. Now imagine the anxiety and the constant stress of trying to hide a newborn. Are there any mothers in here? I can't hide Caden and he's three. I couldn't imagine trying to hide a newborn. But again, she does it. Now here's my thing. I think carrying a child and hiding a child makes her noble, in my opinion, during a time like this. But it was her next move that really demonstrated what else she carried on the inside. To place her own child in a basket on a river and walk away revealed the incredible amount of faith that she had. Which brings me to my next point. God values a woman of faith. He values a woman's faith. God values a woman who believes in him so much so that if she had to walk away from the very thing that she loved, she'll do it. We just be trying to believe God for increase on our job. And this lady laid her child down and walked away. Although we know the full story of what happens, let's just be clear that we don't downplay what his mother just did here. She demonstrates for you and me that if we really have faith in God, then there is going to be some stuff, some people, some opportunities in which we will have to, by faith, just lay it down and walk away. Sometimes it's what we don't do that demonstrates our faith. It's the call that we didn't make. It's the habit we didn't pick back up. It's the job we didn't take. It's the friendship we didn't continue in. It's the conversation we disregarded. Sometimes our faith is demonstrated in our ability to walk away. And that is exactly 
what his mother does. She walks away by faith. A faith that God values and a faith that moves him to reward her. He not only rescues, as we know, and returns her child to her, but he causes it to where she is paid to nurse and care for her own child. God is so good. He's so good. And while all of that was quite a reward, in my opinion, I think the sweetest, th sweetest thing about her reward was that it came full circle. Years later, her son demonstrates, just as she had done, that faith is not always seen in our movement, but rather at times in our ability to remain still. Look at Exodus 14. It says, but Moses told the people, remember he's three months at the time that she puts him on the river. Now we're jumping ahead. He's an adult. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never be seen, shall never be seen again. And so I don't know if his mom was present when he said these words, but I can tell you as a mom. That would have done it for me right there. That would have done it because it came full circle. Those, um, that's one of those moments where you realize everything I did and went through, it was well worth it. Had his mother not had the faith in God, how different would the story have been? Even further, if we as women fail to walk by faith, what does that mean for our children? What does it mean? Because it, it remember, what we believe dictates our behavior. So if I say I live by faith, but I don't walk like I live by faith, then my decisions don't reflect the faith that I claim I have. And that alters everything. God values a woman's faith, and this woman's faith didn't just rescue her child, it rescued an entire nation. An entire nation rested on this one woman having enough faith to put her child down and walk away. The decision that you do today, you have no idea what effects will take place years later. Hallelujah. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 7. Then his sister, Moses, referring to Moses' sister, said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden, referring to his sister, went and called the child's mother. Now, obviously we know that Miriam, that's his sister, for those of you who don't know Moses' sister's name, it's older than him, clearly, right? But some suggest that Miriam could be as young as seven years old, and other sources say she could be as old as 13. But she's not a teenager, because you have to remember what time we're in. 15, 16, you were married and having children. So she's not a teenager. So she's somewhere between the ages of seven and 13. This is a young child. However, regardless of her age, one thing is clear right away when you read this. She was courageous. You see that right away. Somewhere between 7 and 13, doesn't really matter. We know she was a young child, but what we also know is how courageous she was. And I want you all to think about this for a second, because this isn't a storybook. I know the Bible is written like that at times, but it's not a story about book. So we have to think about this. The baby has been at home for three whole months. So for certain, Miriam is aware of her mother hiding this child, right? She's in the house, so she knows he's hiding the child. And if you're an older sibling, then you probably had, she probably had to help with the child. She probably had to help hide the child, which means that there is a good chance that she probably has bonded with this child and has some kind of emotional connection with him. So who knows what's going on through her mind while she's sitting there? The Bible says, describes it as this, that she was sitting from afar watching what would happen to him. Remember, the mother has walked off, so she's now watching. She's the older sibling. Are there any older siblings in here other than myself? Okay, a lot of us. 
I don't know about you, but isn't it interesting how those protective instincts, we just seem to be born with them? Dominique, raise your hand. Minister Dominique is my baby brother. He is bigger than me. He can fight better than me. Um, he can defend himself better than me. There is nothing that I can really do to protect him physically. But let somebody try to attack Dominique, and I'm going to do everything in my power to stop, because that's kind of how we're built, right? We're innate with this protective instinct. So I want you to put yourself in the mind of a young girl watching the baby that she just probably helped connect with. Why is there no inclination to run and try to grab? Him. She's not emotional and she's not all over the place. I love that about her. But nonetheless, there's a good chance she is feeling several emotions in this moment, yet her quick intervention shows us just how brave she is. She demonstrates a type of bravery that leads me to my last point. God values a woman's fortitude. Let's look at the definition to make sure we're all clear. Fortitude is the strength of mind. The strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or bear pain or adversity with courage. Strength of mind. Think about that. And a young girl who is watching her three-month-old brother lie in a basket on a river. She's not crying uncontrollably. She's not trying to grab him. She's watching from afar, poised with fortitude, poised with strength in her mind. No more than 13 years old. And I believe that her fortitude was what enabled her to encounter and bear what she was enduring. What this young girl is demonstrating is something that we should take note of. Fortitude enables a person to endure. Did you all hear me? Fortitude enables a person to endure. Fortitude will keep you from throwing in the towel. Fortitude will keep you from taking yourself out. Can you go to the next slide for me, Charlotte? Many of you have heard of her, uh, but just last, this, just last Thursday, I believe, a young girl by the name of Arlana Miller, 19 years old, a cheerleader at Southern University in A&M College, committed suicide. She leaves the suicide note on Instagram. She posts it. She addresses her mother, addresses her grandfather, addresses her peers, her teachers, the entire post is heartbreaking, but she states in the beginning, I gave this life all the fight I had. 19? Life is just getting started. And she took herself out. 19 when you're just touching the water of what life is like. You, your, your feet are right at the, at the edge. And she takes herself out. Now here's the thing. Sadly, she's not the only one. Last month, a 21-year-old Sarah Schutz, a runner on the University of Wisconsin's track and cross-country team, died by suicide. Days later, James Madison University announced that 20-year-old Lauren Burnett, a catcher on its softball team, died by suicide. In March, a 22-year-old Katie Meyer, the captain of the Stanford University's women's soccer team, was found dead by suicide in her dorm. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Young women taking themselves out. Young women void of fortitude. Young women lacking the mental strength to endure. And this young woman that we're talking about, Miriam, has no future. Her future is to get married and have kids. There is no college. There are no extracurricular activities. There is nothing for her. 
She is a part of an ethnic group that is being harshly oppressed. And that oppression is not just affecting her community, but it has reached her address. And she is now watching her mother lay her baby brother on a river and walk away. Talk about a depressed life. This is a situation that many of us will never even encounter. But because Miriam is, possesses this strength in her mind and this courage, it pushed her to act in line with God's plan. Now, she may not have realized that she was acting on behalf of God, but that's exactly what she was doing. It was her mother's faith that placed Moses in the right place at the right time. But it was her fortitude that got Moses back into his mother's hands. That's what fortitude does for you. Because she didn't walk away crying and because she didn't succumb to the pressures of life and because she stood in strength with courage, God demonstrated to her um, how truly he values fortitude. And that is what happens when we too possess fortitude. God shows up. When we hang in there with courage and strength, we will soon see that he truly is with us. The scriptures are replete with that. Let's look at Joshua 1 and 9. It says this, have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you? Read Joshua when you get home and watch how many times God has to tell him, be courageous and be strong. Then look at all the reference scriptures where God says, be courageous and be strong. But Joshua 1 and 9, it says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Oh, how I wish I could have told those babies that. That breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. Because I worked at the University of South Florida, as many of you know. Um, and in the position that I worked in, I managed our federal grants. And part of that position came with um, ensuring that people who should have the money has it and people who shouldn't, that we need to take that away. And so we would have students who would um, drop out of school and depending on the situation, we would give a portion of the tuition back and cause it where they don't have to pay. And so part of my um, job was to read through those petitions, see if it was something that warrant um, a refund. And when I tell you, I am not lying. God knows this is the God's honest truth. Between 30 to maybe 60 a week of petitions and I would say 95% where I'm depressed. I feel like I want to commit suicide. I've been seeing a counselor. I don't want to be here. I'm tired. I can't do this. 30 to 65 a week. Dropping out a week. God, I wish I could have told them. Be strong and courageous. Because God is with you wherever you are. Whether it's depression, he'll be there. Anxiety, and I, this isn't just calling this off. I'm, I'm saying this from my own, what I know, what I know to be true. What I know to be true. Depression, he'll be there. Anxiety, my own, he'll be there. Business failures, he'll be there. Dropping out of school, failing in my case out of school some semesters, he'll be there. Divorce, he'll be there. Sickness, he'll be there. Even in death, when we lose someone we love, he'll be there. It's not always easy to see it in the moment, but he will be there and he will not forsake us. He's not a man that he shall lie, nor is he the son of a man that he shall change his mind. If he said, I'll be there with you even until the end, then he's going to be there. I love how the Bible says Miriam stood afar to see what would happen to him. It's the perfect demonstration of 1 Corinthians 16 and 13. Listen to this. Be on guard 
Be alert. Have strength in your mind. Be sober-minded. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and be strong. And she does that. And she, she could have been a, as young as seven. And she does that. This young girl did exactly this, and God, who values a woman's fortitude, rewards her by returning her little brother to her family. But more than that, he secures the one who is destined to rescue his people. When we possess fortitude, it sustains us, but as we can see, it also saves others. Your reason for possessing fortitude and enduring is not just for you, it's for the ones attached to you. If I fall out the race, Soraya gonna fall out the race. If I take myself out, there's a chance Soraya gonna take herself out. And I'm not doing that. If I fall out of the race, my sister-in-law who I've built relationship with, who believes me to be a woman of God, may fall out of the race. It's always bigger than us. Fortitude sustains us, but it has the ability to save others. God values a woman's fortitude, and I'm done. Well, almost anyway. I said this earlier. Many know Moses' name and how God used him to lead the greatest exodus ever recorded, but few know the names of the four women God also used to rescue his people. And I didn't give you the four names either because they're hard to pronounce. Let me try. The midwives were Shifra and Pua. His mother was Jochebed, and his sister was Miriam. Many know them, or many know Moses, but few know them. Many know of Moses' fear of God, his faith in God, and his fortitude to stand against the Egyptian um, king, but very few know that Shifra, Pua, Jochebed, and Miriam had demonstrated that same faith, that same fear in God, and that same fortitude well before Moses could even speak a word. Three months old, and God used four women to set him up to operate in that same strength that he had enabled them with. And I'm so very grateful that we have this backdrop to his life because it demonstrates, again, God's heart towards women and more specifically what he values in a woman. It's also a beautiful example of how God responds to what he values. For each of these women, he rewarded them. But more than that, through them, deliverance took place for an entire nation. Reading the Old Testament and reading the Bible can seem outdated to some. And we can miss the bigger picture. But these women didn't have nothing. These women didn't have anything. Um, According to scripture and how they were being treated, these women were more than likely poor. The only thing they had was God. And so I don't want us to listen to these stories and think, okay, because these women feared and had faith, that was them. God saved the whole nation. I don't know about you, but this crazy faith has jumped on me in the last few months. And I believe, I just take him at his word. I just believe he's going to save my whole family. The whole family. The one who, who, who made me the victim. The whole family. I have enough faith to believe it. I have enough fear in him and I have enough fortitude. I have enough strength in my mind to operate like that. And so I don't read these stories and think, oh, God, what a wonderful work you did through them. No, what a wonderful work you can do. Women, we should be compelled today to really examine ourselves and see if we really fear him, see if we really have faith in him, and ask ourselves, do we have fortitude? Listen, if you live past 19 in this room, you already have some kind of fortitude because these babies are taking themselves out. 
So my only encouragement to you is that you continue in that fortitude. And to my fellow mothers, we should be compelled to examine the type of legacy we are leaving behind. What are we demonstrating to our children? Do they see us living reckless or do they see us living a life rooted in the fear of God? Do they see us depressed and full of anxiety over the cares of life? Or do they see us walking by faith and not by sight? Do they see us living timid and unsure? Or do they witness us lacking some type of mental strength? Or rather, do they see us operating in fortitude? And to my ladies who are not mothers, you too should be compelled to examine the type of legacy that you are leaving behind. Remember, Shipper and Pua didn't have children. They didn't have husbands. There's a good chance they didn't even have husbands. But that didn't keep them from having fear in God. So single, married, have children, or don't have children, our actions still affect us and others. And we have to ask ourselves, do we possess what God values? Do we have this fear in him? Do we have this faith in him? And do we have the fortitude that is necessary to navigate this journey called life? Let me read this and then I really am done. I'll tell you this, when we do possess those things, God can do great things. And the scripture reveals it. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord, his servant Moses. A woman fearing God, having faith in him, and possessing fortitude will always demonstrate God's great work. Do y'all believe that? Amen. Can you stand for me? Did I stay on time, Pastor Cole? I did tell Pastor Keith that. There is, well, I'll say this, because Jesus says it in his word, that in this life you'll have many troubles. You're going to have many troubles. Life, I say this often, and I think I've had someone misinterpret it, but I'm going to continue saying it because I know why I say it. Life is hard. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing. It's, it's doable, but it's hard. What these women did took a lot of courage, took a lot of faith, and took a lot of fear in God. And I pray on this Mother's Day that we are women who follow in their footsteps. I don't want to be connected to women who don't fear God. Because you can cause me to make some decisions outside of the will of God. I don't want to be connected to women who don't have faith in God because I know that my faith in him provides as a source of protection for me and my children. And so you may talk me out of believing in him. I don't want to be connected to women who don't have fortitude because I want to see something done great, both in myself and in the people of God. And so we have to hold one another up. We have to encourage each other to continue having faith and fear in him and to also be strengthened in our minds to deal with what we need to deal with. Amen. Let us pray. God, how we thank you and how I honor you this morning. You are such a great God. You are such a loving and you are such a kind God. I thank you, O oh Lord, that you didn't leave it out of written text, this backdrop to Moses' story. 
I thank you for showing us how you can and you will use women. I thank you, O oh Lord, for these women's faith, their fear in you, and the fortitude that they possess. But more than thanking you, O oh God, I'm pleading with you that you would enable us with the same fear, the same faith, and the same fortitude, O oh God. God, we are truly weak, but you are strong, and we need you. God, I don't want to read about another young lady taking themselves out. I don't want to read about anyone in our church taking themselves out. We need you, God. And so I ask in the name of Jesus, oh God, that you would strengthen every woman's mind on today. That you would give them strength to endure. That you will enable them with power to move forward, oh God. I pray, oh God, for their courage and their bravery to act, oh God, even when it seems as though they may lose, even if it means risking their lives. I pray for them now in the mighty name of Jesus. You are so gracious to us, and you are more than kind. And we thank you and we honor you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm confident that you didn't stumble upon this podcast by accident, because God is sovereign. And whenever our sovereign God sends us a message for a reason, he wants us to respond. My prayer is that you respond by allowing the word to be planted in you so that it produces God's will for your life. Until next time, strive to not simply come to church, but to become the church.